please do be seated. And if you would keep your Bibles open to the page that we were just reading from, Mark chapter 12, and that's on page 1011, Mark chapter 12. And let's start with a word of prayer. Almighty Father, we give you thanks that you have been speaking to us as your word was read, that you have been changing our hearts and pointing them to your Son, our blessed Savior. Now we pray that you will continue to do that uh, as we open your word and consider it together. Pray that you will open my lips, that my mouth may declare your praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, we are rejoining Jesus in Jerusalem. Over the past few weeks, we've seen him in the midst of a growing conflict with the religious leaders, a conflict which, in part, is due to a very different understanding of what it means to be devout, what it means to worship God rightly. For the religious leaders, being devout is, is primarily a matter of the proper performance of the sacrifices and the burnt offerings of the temple ceremonies and, and of everything that goes with them. But for Jesus, true holiness is that which comes from a clean heart that loves the Lord our God. And that is more important by far. That's why when Jesus went to the temple first a few, uh, in our sermon a few weeks ago, even though he saw it overflowing with sacrifices and offerings, he pictured it as a fig tree full of leaves but with no fruit. The ceremonies, they could not and they would not somehow make up for the sinfulness of the religious leaders who neither truly loved God or their neighbors. Something our passage will tell us is the most important of all. So let's start that passage. We're in Mark chapter 12, and this is verse 28. If you're following in the outline, we're on point one. A scribe, that is, someone who specializes in copying the scriptures by hand and teaching them, has been listening to Jesus as Jesus has answered the religious leaders who have come to try to trap him in his words. And having heard how well Jesus answered them, he now comes to Jesus to ask a question of his own. Not, I think, in order to trap him, but rather to test him and see whether Jesus really does understand rightly. This is verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answers by quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6. That was our Old Testament reading, words that God spoke to his people before he brought them into the promised land. He said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Spend a moment to think about what he's saying. What is it? 
to say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It is to say that they are God's people and they have a specific God, the Lord, who alone uniquely is God, their God, and ours. And they are to love that God and no other. But in what way are they to love him? It says they are to love him in every way not just with the heart, but also with the soul and the mind and the strength. How much are they to love him? Completely, with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength. But what does that look like practically where the rubber hits the road? Well, practically it's going to be looking like giving him and him alone the honor and respect that is due to him as God. It's going to mean lives that become lives of worship, always focused upon God, and it will certainly mean that we have nothing at all to do with false gods or idols or their superstitions. It will mean that with our hearts, we delight to do what pleases him. And it will mean that we're not led astray by our love for money or power or anything else with our minds what is it practically to love God with your mind well first and foremost it will be seen by the way we listen to God's word and obey it not wriggling out of of the slightest thing but gladly receiving and trusting him and obeying what he says with our hearts and with our mind such it is to love the Lord our God. But loving the Lord our God also means loving those he loves rightly as well. And so, and this is point three on the outline, he adds a second great commandment, quoting from Leviticus, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus is telling us to love ourselves first as a, as, as a certain American pastor likes to say. What this means is that, that we're to raise up our neighbors to the second highest place in our love, second only to God himself. The world always says, look out for yourself. Consider your own needs first. But our Lord says, look out for others. Consider their needs more important than your own. Practically, what might that look like? First of all, loving your neighbor must mean not hating your neighbor. If you hate someone, you're not loving them as your neighbor, are you? And it will probably mean that we speak to them in love as well. We will not lie or deceive or manipulate them with our words, but we will speak truthfully, particularly God's truth, to them for their good. It would mean being generous in love. It would mean not closing our hearts to the cry of the afflicted or our eyes to the needs of the poor. It would mean giving to those who are in need, loving them as we love ourselves. It would mean looking at our neighbors rightly as well, won't it? Not lustfully and certainly never with pornography or such things. I mean giving up your seat for those who need it. 
paying for your software and your music licenses so, so that you don't rob those who, who have labored to create these things? It would mean treating the foreigners amongst us as well as we treat ourselves. But all this is just scratching the surface of the great commandment, isn't it? And well, I don't know about you, but I find that the more that I think about these commandments, actually the more I realize that I'm very far from keeping them as I should. If you're not sure about that, you can ask my wife. So perhaps the question becomes for us, what are we to do with commandments that are so great and so hard we find ourselves unable to fully keep them? I guess one way we could respond would be to make something else more important than the great commandments. To make that something that we can do the big priority instead. That's what the religious leaders had done, isn't it? They'd made the ceremonies and the sacrifices of the temple the big focus, and that had meant they could conveniently forget that they were not keeping the greatest commands. But we can't do that, can we? Because Jesus has just told us plainly and clearly that there is no greater commandment than these. So what else can we do? Well, I know that some people like to recast these commandments, recast them kind of like a vision statement, an aspiration towards which we might work. But as attractive as that sounds, we can't do that either, can we? For our Lord did not give these as mission statements, but as commandments, as things he requires his people to do. And anything less is sin. Woe to those, says our Lord, who relax even the least of the commandments and teach others to do the same. The only thing we can do with these great commandments is to agree that they are right and that they are good and submit ourselves to them, earnestly struggling with the flesh moment by moment, for our Lord asks nothing less than that. And this, by God's grace, and this is point four in the outline, this is exactly what the scribe did. For unlike those who had come before, who had been silenced by Jesus, the scribe agrees with him. He agrees with the commandments that they are right and good. Verse 32, the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is none other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as yourself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Is that not the most beautiful and wondrous thing? To see a man stand in full agreement with our Lord and his eternal word? May he give us strength to do the same. But I will tell you what is even more wonderful, and that is how he ends his response to our Lord. For he says that this commandment is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. 
Not only do you see, has he agreed with our Lord and the law, but he's pinned down exactly where the religious leaders are failing. And I suspect the reason for his insight, at least part of it, is that as a scribe, he knows the scriptures well. And the scriptures talk about this problem again and again and again. We might think back to 1 Samuel chapter 15, where we learn that loving God by listening to him and obeying him is far more important than bringing him sacrifices. Back then, if you remember, we meet King Saul, and God has sent Saul out to destroy his enemies and put all their livestock to the sword. But Saul has disobeyed. Saul has not killed the livestock. He's brought them in order that he might offer them as a great sacrifice to God. Will God be delighted with such a rich sacrifice? God is furious with him. So furious with him for his disobedience that he removes Saul as king over his people, saying, and I quote, has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. And it's not just to love God that the Old Testament says is more important than the sacrifices, but also to love your neighbor. Micah writes, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn of my transgression the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with the Lord your God. Or consider our psalm, Psalm 51, where we hear David, convicted of his sin, cry out, You will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God have a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Scribe is exactly right, isn't he? And not only that, but by being right, he is on exactly the path that leads to the kingdom of God. Let me show you. This is point five, if you're on the outline, verse 34. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Jesus isn't saying that he's not far from the kingdom of God because he's somehow keeping those commandments perfectly. None but Christ himself will do that. He says it because of the wisdom of his answer. He says it because he knows that as that scribe truly seeks to keep the two great commandments, they will show him more and more how far he is for being able to do so. 
His pride and his boast will be stripped away, and the commandments will drive him before his God with a broken and a contrite heart, crying out to him in mercy, mercy, my dear brothers and sisters, that he will receive as blood is shed for the forgiveness of his sins as he enters into the kingdom of God itself through God's amazing grace. As we come to think about the application of this passage to us today, let me ask you how you respond to these two great commandments. How did you treat them as we read them earlier in our service? What do they mean to you? I once knew a man who was very much like the religious leaders in our passage today. He would proudly declare himself to be a good Christian. After all, he did have all of those green leaves of religion. He went to church not only most Sundays, but Good Friday and Easter Eve as well. He knew all about the bowing and the kneeling and the standing and the sitting, and he never talked during sermons. He knew the responses. He knew the creeds. He knew the sign of the cross, and when the procession went by, he looked straight ahead and never looked to the left nor to the right. But he was filled with transgressions and lusts and hatred. His life was fruitless and rotten to its heart, and he ignored it. I know he did, because he was me. I'm sorry to say that I was that man who would sin grievously on Saturday, come to church on Sunday, and then go home to continue doing exactly the same sins. Somehow I'd fooled myself into trusting in rituals and ceremonies which, which are not wrong in themselves, but somehow they had taken over the place for me of the great commandment of the Lord our God and left me far from his kingdom. And I wonder, are there maybe some here today who are in the same place, who have found their own way to quietly ignore God's command to love him fully and always and to love our neighbors as ourselves? Perhaps even those who, like I had, who have deluded themselves into thinking that being devout at church can somehow replace truly loving God and our neighbor. Whereas for myself, by God's grace alone, I heard a preacher, a preacher who did not water down God's great commandments in the slightest, but faithfully told me exactly what the Lord required of me. Then I knew. I knew that for all my proud show of religion before man, I was but a wretched sinner before my God and far from his kingdom. But then he also told me of a savior, of, of Christ who came to bear my sins upon the cross and who in love even for me had suffered the terrible wrath that my sins deserved. 
And so as the commandment worked rightly to convict me of my sinfulness, God drew me, broken and contrite, to the foot of the cross of our blessed Saviour, whose sacrifice alone can and does atone and save us from our sins. And there, as the beautiful hymn puts it, my chains fell off and my heart was free. Maybe some of us were in a similar position today, feeling even now guilty and realizing that we are, as the prayer book says, miserable offenders. We're not even keeping the very first of the commands. Perhaps we're panicking, worried about the burden of the sins that we feel and the terrible charge that we know hangs over our heads. But take heart. If that is you, you are not far from the kingdom of God, and there is for you too a saviour, one who has already taken that charge from over your heads and bore it on his own, where on the cross he bore the punishment for your sins and mine alike. Dear brother and dear sister, Although it is true that our Lord despised the prideful, rebellious leaders of his day, and although it is true that he has despised our prideful, sinful past, yet now when you come to him, with your broken and contrite heart filled with repentance, he will not despise you. He will welcome you. He will love you. He will forgive you and make you a member of his kingdom. But how about that great commandment for those who are now forgiven through the blood of the Son? Does it still apply? Well, yes, of course it does. Even more so, if it were possible, for our blessed Savior sends us out anew to love God and one another as he first loved us. He motivates us to do so now with a love so amazing, so divine, that it demands everything. And he transforms us now by his spirit to make us more and more like him. And he promises us that one day, he will bring us, our hearts now finally cleansed from all sin, to dwell with him in that kingdom forever, where we will perfectly love him, our Lord and our God, who loved us and who gave his son for us. Brothers and sisters, let us pray. Almighty God, We give you thanks for the wonders of your grace, for the marvels of your love, for sending your Son in love for us who were sinners, that he might bear the punishment we deserved and give us forgiveness and peace. Pray, Father, that even as we realize how sinful we are. You will point us firmly to your son and his saving work on the cross. 
Grant us, good Lord, forgiveness through his blood. Pray. We pray, Father, as well, that you will continue to stir up your good spirit within us. That we might love you more and more and love our neighbors as we ought. Teach us, Lord, your ways and, and bring us at the last to that kingdom where, where we will love you as we should forever. So we pray in the name of your Son, our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.